0: This is the Remarkable Business Show on Remarkable.fm. I'm John Moss, and this is episode four. Prepare to tell your legs to shut up.
1: Cyclist, skier, international fugitive, and all round curious guy. Here's the latest edition of the Remarkable Business Show with your host, John Moss.
0: Hello, and welcome to the show. It's a good one today. As you may have guessed from the introduction, I'm a keen cyclist. In fact, a mammal. You know what that is, don't you? A middle-aged man in Lycra. Oh yeah. So when I had the opportunity to interview one of the biggest names in cycling, I was pretty excited. Okay, really excited. So who is the guest today? Well, actually, it's Jens Voigt. Jens is a cycling legend. We're actually the same age, around 35. Well, maybe not. He's a German former professional road cyclist and he's been cycling for several teams over his incredibly successful career, the last one being Pro Team Trek Factory Racing. He wore the yellow jersey at the Tour de France twice. His career achievements include winning the Criterium International, a record-tying five times, and a number of one-week stage races, as well as two Tour de France stage victories. In September 2014, he set a new hour record, the record now held by a certain Sir Wigo. Jens is a remarkable person, and he gives us a fascinating insight into the world of cycling, as well as business, brands and technology. So what are we going to cover in our conversation? We're going to look at the importance of bikes in developing countries and how it absolutely transforms people's lives. We're going to talk about Shut Up Legs, his brand, and how that came about. Has cycling become too focused on business and money? How technology has changed in cycling? A joke that Trek played on Jens with a new test frame? E-bikes and a little secret from Jens. Shh! Are there electric motors in the peloton? the total lack of innocence with mechanical doping, the major changes we will see in bikes over the next few years, and the one thing Jens thinks will disappear, his predictions for the Giro and the Tour, and also geocaching and how you can join in. Jens and I caught up when he was over in San Francisco, and it was right at the beginning of the Giro, one of the three Grand Tours in cycling, which is a race over three weeks. The other ones are the Spanish Vuelta, and of course, the Tour de France. Now, if everything has gone according to plan... This episode should be dropping the day before the tour starts. So fingers crossed, this could be perfect timing. Jens was having breakfast when we caught up on Skype, so please excuse the slight background noise. It's not often you get an opportunity to chat with someone like Jens. I really hope you enjoy our conversation.
1: Accessible, authentic and useful. The Remarkable Business Show speaks to remarkable people.
0: Okay, I am very, very pleased to be welcoming a special guest to the podcast today, and that is the very lovely Jens Voigt. So, Jens, welcome to the Remarkable Business Podcast, and thank you so much for coming on. Hey,
2: good morning from where I am now, and um, thanks for having me. Thanks for the honour to invite me.
0: Oh, it's really, really my pleasure. And, And whereabouts in the world are you today, Jens, and what's going on? What are you doing today? What are you doing this week? Thank
2: you. The cat I am in California to be precisely just maybe five miles off the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County, beautiful part of the land. And um, yeah, just finished my morning run. And now I'm going to have um, another bike ride today and a charity bike ride tomorrow for World Bicycle Relief. And then on the Sunday, Tour of California starts and i be part of that.
0: Fantastic. And World Bicycle Relief, I've donated some money um, to that before as well. Oh, it's such a great charity, isn't it? Do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about what they do.
2: So, well, of course, I help them wherever and whenever I can. So, World Bicycle Relief. They what they're trying to do is to get bikes to people. They are still developing lots of um, Africa, some countries in Asia, some in Middle Am- or in South America. So the idea is that a child in Africa, instead of like having to walk 45 minutes to school. The child gets a bike, and he can cover the same distance in ten minutes or eight minutes. Yeah. Or another thing is, if there is a local doctor somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Africa, if he walks, he can see two patients a day, and he can carry ten pounds of medicine. If he got the bike, he can see twenty persons a day, and maybe save twenty lives, and he can carry fifty pounds of medicine with him. So they're trying to make life better in really remote and uh, developing countries, really remote areas. They're trying to help people there to just be more mobile and get some, some, um, some movement going.
0: And it completely transforms people's lives, doesn't it? It's amazing what a simple bike can do.
2: It, clearly it is. And, and don't forget, some of these countries are you know, more, more of the poor countries. So a, a brand new bike, it's for a lot of these children or people. It's the first item they have ever given to them, which is brand new and only for them. It's like a mind-blowing yeah. experience for these people. To get a bike, and it changes really. like Just as you said, it changes their life so much.
0: Yeah, no, it's really good. I'll make sure I put a link to the website in the show notes as well. It's such a great charity, and and uh, great that you're supporting it. One of the things I was going to ask you about is that the Shut Up Legs brand, jens It's it's become pretty famous, hasn't it? And you've got a fantastic website selling some really nice items of clothing and all sorts. H- how did that actually happen? How did you suddenly realise you had a brand? And you could sell some great gear.
2: Um, well, I used the uh, word Shutter Blacks, I believe, the first time in, in an interview with Danish TV, about 2007, I guess. And then um, I guess fans liked it and they cut everything out except the Shutter Blacks from an interview. And it became a self igniting process somehow. Now I get people, they send me pictures of whatever, the Boston Marathon with Shutter Blacks on the road, or a <laughs> triathlon in Melbourne with Shutter Blacks on the road. So- yeah, it, it's kind of like a trademark and, and I believe that will be still there when I'm gone. So I like that actually, to be honest, I like that. And yeah, together with a few friends, we figured, hey, you know what? Now, in you know, retirement, you have a little bit more time. Let's start a little online business and um, make some shirts for Star Blacks because I saw that people printing their own shirts and coming up with some Shutter Blacks gear, and I figured, hey, then I might as well do the original one and um, produce my own uh, shirts and and, and hoodies and whatever cycling kit.
0: They look great. No, it's it's, it's really nice to see, and uh, I know a few friends have um, bought stuff as well, so it's great to have that kind of brand, which is, it's a global brand. You're a global brand, which is pretty impressive. Thank you. So, um, talking of business, Jens, do you think cycling has become too business-orientated? Or do you think we've still got that kind of passion for just riding? I, I know, you know, organisers need to make money, but I think one of the examples, you know, the Giro, they were looking at having the Best Descender Prize, which got cancelled, um, as far as I'm aware. But it, do, you, do you think it's become too business-orientated?
2: Well, I guess, um, what part in life is not kind of like business-orientated? Cycling is, from when I started to now, it has been become a lot bigger, more glamorous, worldwide, global, more successful, bigger budgets, but also more stress. Until last year, I would have said, yes, it is. But then I saw last year, uh, the Tour de France, you know, from attacking the downhill against all odds, against all logic yeah. and getting away with it. Peter Zagan just riding for fun. You know, Peter Zagan gives me the impression he wants to be first. He wants to be spectacular. And secondly, he, maybe he wants to win as well, but he wants to be spectacular first and all. Yeah. So that attack, they had together Chris Froome in yellow, Peter Sagan in a world champion jersey attacking like 10 kilometers to go in one of his crosswind sections, that was just fantastic to see. So there is still passion there. Um, it is more business there because I mean, if you see Team Sky, the team they have in the Tour de France, they are nine bike riders, right? They're probably a 10 million pound investment. If you take these nine rider salaries together, we probably look at 10 million pound salaries. So hell yeah, you want to protect that investment. <laughs> and you look at it as a serious investment, you know, it would be silly to not take care of, of, of something that important and that expensive. There's always business involved, yes it is, but there's still enough passion left so i'm i'm not worried there yeah.
0: now that's good we i agree we need people especially like peter uh, and yourself and and people with a bit of you know charisma and not just that you know sort of just, just I'm getting on a bike to do a job so I, I think you're right there one of the other things we talked about just before we uh, got online um, recording this today Jens is the technology I, I only started riding back in 2007 so I've been fairly um, uh, you know I haven't experienced sort of old tech and old bikes so I've always been on a carbon bike and you know relatively good group sets and things but can you, can you remember the first bikes that you rode and how things have changed is there anything in particular you noticed? Is it the frames or is it electronic gears?
2: Well, I would say my first, my very first bike when I was 10 years old, it was a little steel frame. I it like yesterday, silver metallic diamant. Well, you would call it diamond, but in Germany we pronounce it diamant, a brand new shiny silver metallic diamant bike, brand new item, one gear, of course, only uh, my first professional bike in 98 was a 10.3 kilograms steel frame from Eddie Merckx. And it was no problem at all because everybody else had a 10 kilo steel frame (laughs) back then. Then we had titanium, Um, the the biggest um, invention or technology change I saw was the index shifting. Having the shifting from down at the frame, having it with the brakes together, it makes cycling so much easier, more comfortable, and, and also safer. There was probably the biggest change, closely followed by the introduction of carbon. You know, carbon is now everywhere in the cranks, C-tube, of course, the frame, the wheels, you know, carbon is everywhere. And that made the bike so much lighter and, and stronger and, and faster. You know, you can get all these aerodynamic shapes now. So there's also a, like, um, if, if I want to like shortly touch like another subject, the reason that the Tour de France seem to go faster and faster, it's not that the people are getting better and stronger. It's just the bikes, the technology helps so much. you know, yeah. I don't think I pushed more watts in my last tour than my first tour. But probably the first tour, 98, we finished with a 37 or 38 average. And nowadays, every Tour de France has almost 40 kilometers an hour average. But that is just because you got aero helmets, aero jerseys. People sometimes they race almost in skin suits on a road race. Mm. We got uh, faster wheels, the deep rim wheels. With the same power output, we just go faster.
0: Yeah, more efficient. Um, more efficient. Yes,
2: more efficient. Expected. Exactly. So, yeah, oh. carbon. And I believe also that in the moment, the weight limit is 6.8 kilograms. And I believe the upper weight limit is 25 kilograms, I believe. That is only concerns the downhillers because if they wouldn't have a weight limit, they would have bikes they weigh 100 pounds so they can go faster downhill. So, the upper weight limit is just basically made for the downhill riders. And I think UCI probably in the close future, they're going to drop the weight limit by another two, three, 400 grams, because they can make perfectly strong and safe bikes at 6.5 kilos instead of 6.8. I even remember we had a Colombian rider who was only 165 tall. He had to add weight to his bike to make it legal. <laughs> so all these companies spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop the lightest and most efficient bikes. And now we got this old fashioned rules that people have to actually add weight to their bike to make it legal to race on it. So I think we need some modernification there.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's a bit like speed limits as well on some roads. I mean, I know in Germany there's some de-restricted roads. Um, I was on those just a couple of weeks ago, and it was, uh, you know, and you were fine going along at 100 miles an hour because you're in a, you know, a modern car, and everybody else is doing that. So, I think I think you're right. It's it's a case of you know, technology has moved on. And so you know you need to expand the rules a little bit. And, um, Absolutely. And Trek Trek do a very lightweight bike, don't they? The Amanda, I think, isn't it? Some of the, some of those variations, the frames are incredibly light.
2: Mm, they are. I remember once they they showed me one of the first prototypes and all that, and they kind of like did a practical joke on me. Um, they gave me um, a, a carton, like like a paper box, with the frame inside. And oh. like here, check the new frame. So I lifted this carton box up. I like. Are you kidding me? That's an empty box. There's no way that there's anything inside. I said, Nah, believe me. Open the box. I like, nah. I'm just gonna throw it to the rubbish. He said, No, open the box. So I opened that paper or carton box, and fair enough, there was a frame in there, <laughs> full frame. It was so light that I thought they actually give me an empty paper box wow. to carry. It was it was mind blowing to see how light it goes. Since I saw you know uh, prototypes and then the way they make them, there are some thin walls on the frame, but all together it's incredibly strong. But there's are like um, some of the tubings is probably less than a millimeter, but all all together glued together and put in the oven to bake and to cook, uh, it's an incredibly strong frame.
0: Yeah, the the innovation around carbon manufacture is astonishing, and you've got companies like Trek who are leading the way without question. So that's fantastic. And and other. Other bits of innovation, not necessarily in professional cycling, Jens, is um, e-bikes. I don't know if you've ever been on an e-bike. I tried one the other week um, up in the Alps, or just a mountain bike with a with a, with an e-bike motor, and it was astonishing. It was so much fun, and there's been massive amounts of investment. In the past sort of year or so, um, venture capitalists investing in companies who are producing these e-bikes. I just wondered whether you see those being used a lot more, you know, for commuting around towns and cities. I think we're going to see a big, big change in the next few years.
2: Well, John, let me tell you a secret, just between you and me. Don't tell anybody, right? This is not a multi-million listener and viewer podcast. Just between you and me. All right. I use an e-bike almost every day when I'm at home. Because last year I bought an e-bike for my wife's birthday. So she owns an e-bike and I every now and then actually use it to get the kids to school.
0: Wow! It's, yeah,
2: uh-huh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a like city commuter bike, like got a little shopping basket in the front. You know, it's just a city bike. There's nothing sporty about it. It still has different gears and all that. But even the fairly heavy city bike, if you put the electric support on turbo, you hardly have to pedal. It is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I remember the first time. The first time my wife used it, like going to school, we have this tiny little uphill. It's a little steep, but it's little. It's short. My wife never liked it, and she was flying up this little hill, adjusting her hair, and look. Like, Hey honey, look at this! I can take my glasses off and ride with one hand. It was no hands. It was one leg, and she was just delighted how much better and faster she was. It's it's a fantastic um, development, and as you said, I got, I'm I'm going to see a massive growth in uh, the use of electric bikes because you can actually commute to work faster, quicker. If you want to go slower, you don't sweat at all. You can, you arrive at work and you don't have to really shower. Yeah. It's a fantastic uh, development, and um, so yeah, we we have an electric bike at home.
0: Well, I'm very impressed. That is that is good to hear. It's um, it, I, I was amazed. I, it was the first time I got on one, and it was a mountain bike. You know, nothing special, but um, it yeah, you know, you could just as soon as you went uphill, it kind of assisted you, and you could change the different speeds or you know how much effort um you had to put in, and um, yeah, we had a we had a lot of fun. It was it was very good.
2: The bike I bought for my wife it's a city bike it's, uh, it's it's built in a way that only supports speed up to 25 to 20 kilometers an hour uh-huh. so if you want to do 30 kilometers an hour or 40 you got to pedal all by yourself no engine helps yeah. you but as long as you go slow enough city speed the engine is there and the engine stops the moment you stop pushing on the pedals the engine stops as well it's very sensitive and it's a smart way to do it because it's not that you ride a motorbike and the engine just keeps running in case you whatever want to break or stop or the engine stops the moment you actually stop pedaling you can break uh, break it down you you can uh, slow down anyway way uh, any fast you want so it, it's pretty pretty brilliant development and it's it's fairly safe my wife just loves it all the kids had a try on it they all <laughs> love it it's a fantastic uh, uh like it makes uh, our family life a lot better and more fun
0: oh, that's great to hear Jens. that's really good and, and- do you think there's ever been, I mean, uh, do you think there's ever been electric motors in the peloton? There was all, you know, people always talk about this and they're seeing, you know, people have seen the videos online. Do, do you know, they scan the peloton now, don't they? They scan the bikes at the beginning of some of the races. But do you think, do you think they're there?
2: Well, if they ever were there, they're not there anymore because the chance to get caught and detected is way too high. Nobody yeah. takes that risk. Yeah. For a long time, I was actually convinced that we simply don't have the technology of build something that is small enough to fit inside the frame and yet be powerful enough to help you. Right. All right. That's what I thought. But then this young Belgium uh, girl got caught. Um, I think she did a cycle cross yeah. with the engine in her um, frame. And then I figured if a 20-year-old girl and her dad can put that together in a garage. <laughs> what could a multi-million dollar team or company do with proper laboratories and, and proper science behind it? You know, if just like Joe Average in his garage can put it together and send his daughter to race with it, then I thought, well, maybe there there is a chance. Maybe they had some tries at whatever, at some training sessions to see how it goes. But I'm sure, I'm, I'm fairly sure that it, it never been re- used in races. And if ever, then not in these days anymore, there's too much control and, you know, you can't get away with it. And then and, and plus Mechanical doping is even worse than, than other doping almost because an engine in your bike has only one purpose. Yeah. There's no excuse, oh, that accidentally got into my bike. No, the <laughs> engine does not get accidentally in your bike. You might sometimes have these cases where actually, you know, some contaminated contermin- protein powders. Or, you know, you just travel in a region where they use whatever anabolic gas for the chicken. There might be some ways where actually people innocently delivered a positive test. But with the engine in the bike, there's no way that there's any way of innocence involved in that. So that would be even worse. That basically should be a lifetime ban for everybody involved. The rider, the mechanic, the persons around it—lifetime ban for all of them. Straight yeah. first interfraction, straight lifetime ban for all of them.
0: That would be terrible. I agree. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Do you think we're going to see any major changes in bikes and technology in the next few years? I mean, it, it, you know, you look at, say, for example, the latest Trek that the guys ride now, and it's—and uh, and I'm sure you—you you know, you ride as well. It, it's just astonishing. It looks almost like a spaceship these days, doesn't it? The frame and the into everything integrated. Do you think there's anything going to change in the next few years?
2: I actually do ride this Trek Madone, the team edition in red, and the bike just looks like a Ferrari car. (laughs) When I train anywhere in the world and people turn their heads around me, I'm not sure I believe more people look at the bike instead of recognizing me. You're all blown away by, by the bike, it, how, how great and slick and fast the bike looks. So, yes, there are some brilliant bikes out there. Trek does, gr- does a great job there, but hey, other companies also produce pretty good bikes. You know, you got to be fair. Yeah, yeah, Other companies also doing a good job. I think the most likely thing to happen is the disappearance of all cables it will be all wireless operated and i wouldn't be surprised if anytime soon we also will get rid of the cables for the brakes and like we have now with the derailleur the shifting electronic we will have some little mini engines in the brakes to actually brake electrically because the frames get so light so the weight we can save on the frames with all the carbon we can then put on and make the brakes a little heavier with putting little engine in there. Or yeah. Also, if you, um, if you take the cables out, I mean, that's still, uh, whatever, three feet of steel cable you have for two brakes, three feet, maybe now maybe five feet of, of, of steel cable. That's also weight you would use. So you could make the battery a little stronger to support the shifting and the braking. So I think in the close future we will see braking without cables and shifting without cables, not even an electric wire, if we all be like this micro wireless system on your bike. I think that would be a development I can see happening.
0: That sounds good yeah. to me. I've never thought of that. That is a great one to that's a great one to think about, yes.
2: It, it is you wouldn't, wouldn't have no cables everything integrated that then also would uh, you wouldn't need to have this holes in your frame where the cables go in and out that would reduce the amount of water and dirt and sand getting in there so i think it would make the bikes actually easier to to maintain and even looking more slick no cables at all no uh, drilling holes in the frame where the cables get in and out so the bikes would be looking even more fantastic. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that day.
0: Fantastic. That is great. So we are, we're speaking and it's May, May time. We're in the middle of the Giro. Who do you think is going to win this year? And then what do you think is going to happen in the Tour ends? Have you got a favourite or you think anyone that's going to be new, that's going to appear?
2: Well, here it is. Nairo Quintana is neither going to win one of them. He's going to be second or third in the Giro, and he's going to be four, five, six in the Tour. Okay. That's what happens when you want too much. I believe the double is not possible anymore in modern cycling. The races are just too hard. Too tough. Nibali. Yeah. Nibali wins the Giro. He's my my winner. Okay. He played his cards close to the chest all season. I think he is ready. So, nobody wins the Giro Italia. And, well, call me lame or boring, but of course, Chris Froome is going to win the tour. If he doesn't drop himself, if he doesn't do a terrible tactical mistake, I cannot see anybody being able to beat him. I mean, people cannot even beat him like head to head. He drops him in a time trial, and he drops him on the climbs. He drops him on the downhills. And he got a very strong and dedicated team around him. He never has this double leadership problem. So I don't see any way how anybody could actually beat him without being extremely lucky, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, second place will go to Richie Port this year. He is as ready as ever. He is grown up, he is experienced enough. He is as skinny as I've ever seen him. He had some really good results. Unlucky that he lost so much time in Perry knees uh, nice in the crosswinds, but he is ready. If his team doesn't drop him again when he has a puncture, that was an unforgivable mistake they did there. BMC should um, get their stuff together and go, okay, we have a one chief strategy. We do not have eight chiefs and one Indian because one Indian cannot do the work for eight chiefs. (laughs) You need one chief and eight Indians. That's how it should be. So they should go, TJ, you are a good domestic. You are a superb helper, domestic, deluxe for Richie. And uh, Greg Van Avermaet, if you're lucky you get on a break, you can win a stage. But we only support Richie. That is how we try to win the tour this year. So, Richie second, and then I expect a very interesting and fierce battle for third place. Young kids from um, uh, Orica Greenage, Yates, mm-hmm. the Yates brothers. So, Chavez, I think, with a knee problem, he might be not in there. Roman yeah. Bade is going to go for it again. Alberto Contador is still there. Um, yeah. Nairo Quintana, Alejandro Valverde. I think these guys all will have to settle for third place. But it will be a fierce and interesting battle. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: No, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be good. I'm uh, hoping to get over there to watch a couple of stages and uh, I'm watching the Giro avidly on TV at the moment.
2: I'm following the results of the Giro as well every day and I'll be at the Tour de France commentating again for NBC. So I'll be there every single day to see how it unfolds.
0: Oh, we look forward to hearing from you then, Jens. Always enjoyable to hear your thoughts on the race and the commentary. Thank you. And, and thank you for your time. That wraps it up nicely for this recording. I really, really it. Appreciate you calling in. I hope you have a fantastic day over there in San Francisco. How's the weather, by the way? Is it uh, any good? It's
2: lovely. I just finished my morning run. I went out to do some geocaching as well. So I found two new geocaches here in uh, California. And it's lovely and sunny. And I believe it's going to be a 25 degree day today. So just perfect for riding. Not too hot. Just nice and warm. short sleeve jersey. No undershirt needed. Just Pretty much perfect, to be honest. Blue sky, it will be lovely.
0: That sounds great. And just for the, just for the people who are listening and wondering what geocaching is, you, you, could you just explain it just, just quickly? Because you, you're a bit of a geocaching master,
2: aren't you? I am, yep. Yeah. My son is into it as well now. So we got, I think, 750 founds all over the world. So geocaching is basically a treasure hunt for grown-ups. People hide. I think in a moment we are about 3 million hidden geocaches hidden little boxes all over the world i found some in Perth, in melbourne in sydney i found some in new york and in colorado and and now in california south africa uh, i find one in israel like uh, two months ago when i was there so geocaches are all over the world so you go on the web page www.geocaching.com you can sign up it doesn't cost anything uh, sign up and then you got all these geocaches available and then you click there's an app on your phone you click on Please find the 20 closest uh, geocaches, and then you can just go and, and, and look. From. It's obviously a hidden box. You can sign in. There's a logbook, so you can sign your username in there to prove that you were there. And they sometimes show you beautiful places, old churches, some memorials, some beautiful views, some really cool, interesting old trees. They hide the geocaches underneath them. It's an interesting way of uh, spending a day. If you have two hours to kill on a business trip, nothing else to do, just go geocaching. All the kids love it because it's this little secret uh, society. You know, some geocaches are in the middle of the city. People would never know about it. So it has this little adventure character for the kids. They love it. My kids all love it. I have six children and I think more or less I sometimes I take one or two or then the other two the next day so all of them has been geocaching already with me oh that sounds
0: great so it's it's almost like a getting outside and doing something but with a little bit of technology as well
2: yes as well yep absolutely it almost feels like that uh, pokemon go was a copy of geocaching (laughs)
0: that's a good description very good description well thanks again jens it's been great to catch up today um, for people who want to follow you on Twitter it's at Jens Voigt that's correct isn't it
2: um, I think it's the uh, all small yeah. letters in one word Because Jens Vogt was taken, and Jens Vogt 1 was taken, Jens Vogt 3 was taken. So I went uh, to Jensie, all in small letters. Jensie, that is my Twitter handle.
0: Perfect. Well, make sure we'll put those in the show notes and also to um, the Shut Up Legs website. And thank you again for calling in. Have a great day.
2: Thank you. It was a great pleasure talking to you. And I hope um, the viewers and the people they listen to it, they actually enjoy what we talked about. So thanks again for giving me the chance to be part of this.
0: Thank you, Jens. Take care.
2: I will. Okay. Thank you.
1: This edition is brought to you by SaneBox, essential for people overwhelmed by email. Remember, your inbox is someone else's task list and not yours.
0: Okay, this episode is brought to you by SaneBox. If I had to choose one paid service that I would miss the most, SaneBox would be the one. So what exactly is SaneBox? Well, let me just tell you a little story first. In 2010, a small group of geeks set out to overcome email overload. Little did they know that it was about to get a whole lot worse over the coming years with people spending literally hours of time in their inbox. They had a few rules for whatever the solution would be. The customer doesn't have to do or learn anything. It has to work everywhere people check their email today. It has to be secure as humanly possible. It has to get better over time. And it also has to be valuable enough for people to be happy to pay for it. And this is how SaneBox actually came to life. It's a really simple service that analyzes your past email behavior which emails you open, which you respond to, how quickly, how often, and determines importance of the incoming emails without ever looking at the content, only the headers. It moves unimportant emails out of the inbox into a separate folder called Sane Later, and then summarises them in an email digest you get sent at a time that works for you. So for me, I get one every evening. It works anywhere you check your email, since it's just an email folder. There's so many features of SaneBox, I won't cover them all today, but you can do some really clever things. Some of my favourites are deferring an email until you're ready, so I place an email in the Sane tomorrow, Sane next week, or any custom Sane snooze folder, and SaneBox will place that email back in your inbox when the time comes. The other one I really like and I rely on tens of times a day is BCC Reminders. Now, I don't know about you, but I need help remembering everything. Samebox has your back with this. So you BCC, say, two days at samebox.com or one week at samebox.com. And if the person hasn't got back to you, it will appear back in your inbox to remind you. This is incredibly valuable. So you can get a 14-day free trial and you can get $5 towards your subscription. Just head over to johnm.me slash SaneBoxRocks. So that's johnm.me slash SaneBoxRocks. Pricing starts about $60 per year for one email address, but it is worth every single penny or cent. Seriously, try it. You will love it. Tim Ferriss is one very clever guy and someone who I admire and have followed for many years. I spent a few days with him back in 2008 at the very first Do Lectures where he was speaking. Tim makes a lot of sense with this quote. Never automate something that can be eliminated and never delegate something that can be automated or streamlined. Otherwise you waste someone else's time instead of your own, which now wastes your hard-earned cash. I'm always keen to ensure that what I do makes the most of technology. Technology and marketing, when combined correctly, can equal magic. This is the main topic I focus on when I work with some of my clients. Most businesses, whether a small company, a growing SME, or even a big organisation, are 99% of the time not using software fit for purpose and actually wasting time, money and opportunities with their marketing. This is how I can help. If you'd like to have a chat, send me an email. It may go into the same later folder initially. John at johnmoss.co.uk That's J-O-N at johnmoss.co.uk I'd love to have a chat with you and see if I could help. Being ruthless with what you focus on is vital to being effective and efficient. Being effective means choosing the things that really matter the most, and that's in life and in business. Being efficient means doing those things well, using the right tools. That brings us to the close of episode four. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your valuable time. Let me know what you think of the show by sending me an email to john at johnmoss.co.uk. I read every single email I get and I really do appreciate the feedback. If you enjoyed the episode, please let someone know. Send them a message or an email or tweet about the show. I'd really appreciate it. You can share this episode easily by clicking the share link at the top of the page. Thank you so much. Also, please leave an honest review for the show on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews are super helpful and they make a really big difference for the show's visibility. Anything you write, I promise I'll read. So until next time, enjoy life and make every day count.
1: Don't miss the bulletin newsletter. Head on over to www.theappleofmyeye.com/newsletter and sign up. You get a terrific free ebook too.